Back and forth, scraping the crease for a fresh episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard. I'm tempted to start by checking to make sure that you listen to the intimate sit-down In Goal Radio had with Martin Brodeur last week. But on this occasion, just based on the reaction, I know everybody listened to it. Now the question is, will you listen to it again? Or just go back and skim through it and let some of those comments sink in, because I've done that. Uh, our visit covered so much ground. As you ponder that, I'll let you know what's on the way in this installment. Kevin Woodley talks knee pads in the gear segment over at the hockey shop with Cam. And what I've learned about knee pads is we all seem to have a personal injury story revolving around taking a puck or a skate that that piece of equipment could have either prevented or done a better job of uh, protecting you with. Uh, the guys run through a full list of product manufacturers of knee pads. Our feature interview is one hell of a dude. Freddie Brathwaite played a bunch in the NHL before finishing in Europe. He mixed in some time in the minors and the Continental Hockey League as well. He earned every minute of his time playing professional hockey as a sort of all or nothing history to his game. And I'll explain that in just a little bit, but he's a fun, fun goalie who has some of the more famous yawns in hockey. I'll also explain that in just a little bit. Uh, here's Kevin Woodley, co-founder of In Goal Magazine. Uh, Woody, uh, dad left us home alone again. I know. Do you think we can get, get through the week without Hutch and without any international incidents or anything that's going to cost us in the long run? He, he's, he's our to this. Uh, he uh, he's going to listen to this, but he's he's on assignment right now. He's doing something related to the goalie world, but he's so excited about what he's doing. He's like, "Yeah, you guys can handle it." Yeah, and I don't think that's a good precedent to set. No, no, it's probably not. We're already we've already we're already planning to roll out some audio that we weren't originally <laughs> supposed to. So exactly. Sorry, Hutch, I mean, you just have to edit it. Uh, the uh, the conversation that you have over at the hockey shop with uh, with Cam on the knee pads. Before we get to that, uh, just a little bit of a, a backstory, and we've got a promo code. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you'll want to listen. Stick around and listen to the interview because we'll roll out the promo code then. Um, but a chance for you to basically save 20% on any set of knee pads in the hockey shop. Uh, if you've taken one off the knees, you know how important they are. We've talked in the past in our reviews. CCM pads are basically designed specifically so you wear knee pads with them. Uh, if you need a new set, you just want to add a second set for when your current set breaks down. Now's the time to do it because of that promo code, the chance to save 20% off. You know, and speaking of percentages, uh, every week we talk about the hockey shop. They help make this podcast possible. Hockey shop source for sports in Surrey. And we talk about how great it is when you visit in person. One thing I forget about sometimes, Darren, is thehockeyshop.com crosses borders um, for our American customers. As much as the in goal 20 discounts can help you get 20% off on certain items on certain weeks. And a lot of you had used it to save, save money on specialty items like uh, you know, the batting gloves and things like that. If you're, if you're calling from the States, it's pretty much 35% off the top right away with the exchange rate. So um, yes, a quick message uh, from the hockey shop source for sports and from the hockey that they do ship across the border. Of course, there are a couple of brands that sort of prevent that from happening, uh, CCM and Bauer on the big ticket items. But for pretty much anything else, Vaughn, Brian's, um, you know, you can you can get it at use your dollar. Uh, the Canadian dollar is down. The American dollar is up. And for our American listeners, that means big savings. So make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. Uh, as always, the best selection of all the latest brands. 
uh, all the latest gadgets. They all play the goal. If you've got questions, uh, check out that website, thehockeyshop.com. Reach out to them, ask questions on sizing, on fitting. Everyone down there plays the position, understands the position, has a passion for the position, and they'll help you get the best equipment. And you just happen to live south of the 49th. Uh, that means your dollar is going to go that much further at thehockeyshop.com. Well, I wear the tanks uh, for the knee pads, and I'm ordering a new set as soon as we're done this podcast. Uh, yeah, you know what? You have to listen. You got to listen to the gear segment. Cam walks through mm-hmm. all the different options. I got to say, like, I am personally, I'd have trouble switching away from. I've been using the the CCM Pro model with the with the built in sort of hinges on either side, yeah. and then the JDP kneecap underneath, and it's just. Never taken one, never had one find a seam. Uh, you know, I do find you need to have a pad that has a big enough landing area. You know, it's designed, like I said, to work with CCM pads. Uh, I've used them on other lines, uh, but there are a few where it gets a little little tight in there around the knee area. But just protection. I'm a jiggy fly guy. Like, I, I'm, I'm not blessed with a giant wide butterfly. I, you know, I, I, my pads don't always cover the gap between my knees. So I rely on knee pads to do that. And uh, I find they're a good combination of mobility protection. And they take up a lot of space, Darren. And for a guy whose five hole leaks as much as mine, that's important. Space is very important uh, as far as plugging it uh, in the five hole. We'll get into that. Uh, Yeah, you guys do run through a bunch of the different manufacturers. A free agent uh, carousel is underway. And what a wild uh, few hours it was at the start of free agency on Monday. And we had uh, Bob switching teams. So both Tampa teams or Florida teams uh, switch goaltending up a a little bit. Uh, Robin Leonard changes teams. uh, Hutchinson, Kincaid, Reimer, Smith, Talbot, Varley. Uh, It's it's an interesting, interesting time in the goalie world. Bob going to Florida and his partner uh, is uh, is not going to be Roberto Luongo because we thought there might be a way to make that switch. So one goes in and one goes out. Yeah, I guess we'll start with the Luongo news before we get to free agents. A sad day here at uh, In Goal Media because he's been so good to us. Um, You know, I I had it on social media uh, when the news broke. He's basically the guy that started me in goal. Like, I've told the story about how uh, Ian Clark, now the goalie coach for the Vancouver Canucks, then the goalie coach for the Vancouver Canucks in kind of the, you know, 2002, 2003 uh, 2000, yeah, around there, 03, 04, hired me to run his magazine, Goalie News. And that's what started it for me. The first feature interview, the first time I did something like what we do every week now mm-hmm. and, and spent a half an hour, 40 minutes on the phone with a goaltender was Roberto Luongo. And just it sort of helped fuel the passion I have for this position even today. It's what got me started playing it. He was the f- first guy on the cover of that magazine. He was one of our feature interviews and feature stories over the years uh, at the Ingold Digital Magazine, uh, talking technique with him over the years here in Vancouver. And of course, he was the first feature guest on the Ingold Radio podcast. So um, I guess we'll have to make him in the near future our first recently retired guest uh, mm-hmm. and and bring it full circle. But just, yeah, just tough. Uh, everybody who read the letter saw that the body just, it was too much. Uh, I saw that in person last year when I went and spent uh, the week with him and Robbie Tallis uh, in Florida. We were on the ice every day. Uh, banking video uh, for Ingoal Magazine, drills and tips and things like that. And, you know, going into the rink an hour and a half, two hours earlier and sort of getting a glimpse at the amount of work he had to do to get his body ready. And he had other people working on it with him. It wasn't just him stretching. He had other guys, you know, pulling legs in one direction and the other for like an hour and a half, two hours, 
just to step on the ice for an August skate. It showed me at the time his passion for the position that he that he wanted to compete so badly he was willing to grind through that every single day. Um, and I guess I guess it just became too much. I guess and and I and I understand it, but he's going to be missed because he truly is one of the greats. What do you think his calling card will be remembered as? The glove hand? Ooh. Yeah, I've got a few photos on the desktop here of him making yeah. fully extended glove saves. I mean, to me, his calling card, and, and he'd like to throw that out. Um, I guess I'll always remember him for his ability to make reads. Like if you mm-hmm. gave him end zone play and allowed him to sort of get a good read on the situation, he was usually there and he was usually set. And he just, he, he always was able to get an arm out, really long reach. And whether it was the glove or, or, you know, didn't matter what it was come kind of, kind of coming out late and making a save. I just, I just think it was the compete, you know, uh, it was the compete, the battle. And I guess maybe for the average fan, it might be something like a glove for me. It's actually the more I think about it here is, is just the constant evolution. He knew, he understood that if, and we've talked about this many times with him, that if he kept playing the way he started playing the position, when he came into the league, he would have been gone a long time ago. And so he was always looking for ways to get better. Um, when he broke the bone in his shoulder on that sharp angle shot, the night we almost ended up with Robbie Tallis in net, because remember Montoya hurt yeah. his groin. Uh, in order to get back faster, he needed a lighter stick. So he went and bought a composite twig just so he could get back on the ice because it was lighter in his blocker hand because he was rehabbing the shoulder and he wanted to get back before the end of the season. They're fighting for a playoff spot. While composite stick felt lighter, Blocker had more control. I'm switching, right? Even two years ago, Reebok skates, like the, one of the last guys, Doobie still has them. Uh, John Gibson still has them. The old Reebok 9K with the, or 20K with the super low profile cowling, full cowling wrap, switched out of that to the most extreme you can get, the true two-piece, like the tallest skate you can get like a year and a half ago. Again, just felt like he was starting to slip out on his recovery pushes and that gave him that much more of an edge. And so just that willingness even as, even as he approached his forties, to always try anything uh, to see if it would make him better. To me, that's what'll 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 sort of be the lasting memory and the passion that drove that. Last time I saw him play live was in February in Vegas, and he was outstanding. So that was uh, that was a good way to go. I didn't know it at the time that it was going to be the last time that I'd see him uh, play live. Pressure pack situations. Uh, the two thousand four World Cup stepped in one. Uh, for an injured Martin Brodeur in Toronto and 2010 in Vancouver, uh, won the Olympic uh, Games in Vancouver on, on home ice uh, for Canada. So a couple of big ones there. And the World uh, Championships, 03, yeah. right? Like Sean Burke gets hurt. He was the guy, remember Marty Biron shared this story with me because he was the number three guy on that team. Roberto goes in like pressure pack, Burke gets hurt, semifinals, finals was brilliant, wins a gold medal there. Like I think a lot of people forget about the world championship moments. Um, you know, I, there'll be a debate about, he, there's no question he's a Hall of Famer. There'll be a debate about whether it's first ballot. I've seen those debates. To me, it is like slam dunk. Um, well, based on flow, based on his flow, he goes in. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame. I, I believe so too. And I, and I get like a lot of people, one of the arguments against is no Vesna trophy. And, you know, I look back at 0304 and it wasn't his fault. The Panthers were terrible. That's one of the historically great seasons in goaltending since the turn of the century. I think his goal saved above average was 48. He had a 931 save percentage, 
pretty much playing behind a firing squad every night. And I get they'd never given a Vesna to a goalie who didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they they eventually did. Bobrovsky's first was on a, behind a Columbus team that didn't qualify. But to me, that would have been that would have been a good example. Like he he was head and shoulders above anyone else in terms of the amount of goals he saved. And then tough luck in uh, was it oh six oh seven or seven eight? He gets to forty eight wins, has a brilliant year, and and matches what would be the record for wins in a season with the Canucks with the Canucks team that he was the best player on, by the way. But unfortunately, our guest from last week had other plans. Marty breaks the record with 49 wins that year. And hey, listen, deservingly so, gets the Vesna. Just tough for Roberto that you know most of his career was sort of up against Brodeur, a chunk of it against Hashik, and even Waugh uh, competing against them for Vezinas. To me, he should have at least one. And, and again, when you look at the wins on the international stage, yes, he was at the World Championships because the Panthers weren't in the playoffs, but that clearly wasn't on him. And the work he did there just it stands out. Hey, just on the subject of of Hall of Fame, because you brought up the individual honors, and I'll throw a Stanley Cup in there. Is Tim Thomas a Hall of Famer? Ooh, the only thing that's going to work against him is longevity. But again, right? Like, but he has all the accolades. Yeah, Vesna, Conn Smythe, uh, Stanley Cup. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I'd have to do a little math on what qualifies. Like. Hey, listen, in my book, there's a lot of guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame that should be on the goaltending yeah. side of things. Cujo, for sure. You yeah. know, um, uh, again, uh, Chris Osgood, he's top 10, like he's top 10 in wins. I, I get it. He's on good teams, but like, you know, the, uh, the last cup, I believe he ended up finishing ahead of Hashik, right? Like he would have won the Con Smythe, that Pittsburgh Cup. Uh, where where they won, went back-to-back years in the finals against Pittsburgh. He would have won the Con Smythe that if if. Detroit was able to hold on and that would have cemented it. Yeah. So to me, there's a lot of guys that should be in there. Tim's definitely a conversation worth having because when he got, he, he got a late chance, but when he was in the league, man, he was dominant multiple, like you said, mm. multiple business. He was one of the best and I'm biased, right? I'm biased for both Tim and Roberto, which was the hardest thing about the 2011 cup final, right? Because you go into that Canucks room and you have to see the pain and the emotion on the face of a guy like Roberto, who I admire um, you know, and, and just loved watching. And then Tim, who, you know, I know other people, you know, don't like the way his career ended or the way he left Boston and politics and things like that. But man, like from a goaltending standpoint, he was so good to us over the years, the way he talked about the position and explained how he approached it. Like he was just a fantastic with us charity masks that he did directly with in goal magazine and his painter, um, Steve Nash from I candy air, uh, to benefit um, mo- the Movember campaign that we worked with. Like a lot of people forget those things. And so people may not want to hear it, but our experiences with him, like just nothing but positive. And to us, at least he was a Hall of Fame person. So um, yeah, I, I could handle both those guys being in for sure. Um, one thing I will say for Roberto, Hall of Fame story. Yeah, well, it's the, the Hall of Fame question uh, isn't the only real mystery uh, surrounding Roberto Luongo as he retires that the hall of fame, that's the hall of fame story. I mean, have, have, have you, do you, do you really know what happened? I do well, now. Now explain to people okay. what we're talking okay, about. Okay. We're talking about the 2007 Stanley cup playoffs. We're talking about the Canucks being down three games to two against the eventual champion Anaheim ducks, a team loaded gets Perry, Niedermeyer, Pronger, like, um, just a dominant team. Uh, Roberto has them hanging in, but they're down three, two it's in game six. It's in Anaheim and they're going in overtime 
And all of a sudden, the team skates onto the ice, the Vancouver Canucks, and they are not let out by Roberto Luongo. They are let out by Danny Sabrin, who has to stop a flurry of shots. I think it took like three minutes to get a whistle before Roberto could come back off the bench. And everyone was just losing their minds. What's going on? I'll never forget it. Uh, I'm pretty sure, without being able to check it, Darren, like obviously my phone starts buzzing like crazy messages, like what's going on, what's going on. And I think it was Jason Botchford, the late Jason Botchford, who was actually at the game for the province uh, at the time, or maybe he was just watching it from home. But his was, he's like, what's going on? I'll never forget this because my first guess was like, I said, I have no idea. Like, it's not like I can text somebody in the locker room and ask what's going on. But my first guess as a goalie was that it was bathroom related. And I just said, if you've ever had to try and get the gear, get enough gear off to be able to sit on the John, it's not easy, right? Like we all know as goalies, like you got to take the pads off to get the pants down. Like it's not easy. And that was actually Woody, my first. I guess. never went bathroom. I never, I thought something got hurt or dude, something. Happened. I never went to the bathroom. I, I'm going to honestly, it was my first guess. It was my first guess. And I didn't know, but that was my first guess. And sure enough, as it turned out, we sort of had it confirmed here in Vancouver. I'm not even sure if it ever became public, but he kind of nodded with a grin when we, you know, at the end of the season, at the season wrap up, when we asked if that's what it was. And there were enough hints that that's what it was. But I think, I'm not sure how many times he's told the story, but we've got it for you now. We've got it from the guy who was standing behind him in the tunnel when he turned around and said, nope, gotta go. Danny Sabrin. Just happened to be around him recently as he was telling the story. We happen to have a microphone going. He's cool with it. So we're going to share that. Upon the news of Roberto's retirement, we're going to share Danny Sabrin's version of the bathroom break, the most infamous bathroom break in probably NHL history. And, and Danny Sabrin tells it for us now. That year I played like nine games, something like that. So I didn't play much. Um, so we're in the second round of the NHL playoff uh, against Anaheim. Uh, we're trailing 3-2 in the series. We're in Anaheim, and after the third period, uh, it's 2-2. And Luongo looks at me because we're sitting beside each other, and he's like, oh, I think I have to go to the bathroom. I'm 24, and he's older than me, and he's, he's been playing his like 70 some, 72 games probably that year. So I'm like, well, I'm, maybe you should go. But he doesn't go. <laughs> doesn't go. And like, you know, like the coach come, does his meeting and his speech. So two minutes before he gets his gear on, his mask, his glove. And I always, I'm always behind him, like giving high fives to the guys. And all of a sudden, like a minute and a half before puck drop, he turns around just before he was supposed to go forward. But no, turns around and say, ah, it's not going to work. I have to go. <laughs> but I don't realize. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. And the coach like, Sabu, put your mask on. You're going to have to go. Oh, really? So right, right there, I put my mask. I jump on the ice and I'm thinking, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. It's going to be all right. I do my crease. I shuffle my crease. I do my routine. But in my head, I was like, oh, it's okay, he's going to come back. But he never did, the puck dropped. And I, that's, that, right then, I said, okay, I'm going to challenge those shooters. There's no way they're going to shoot and score. They're going to have to shoot, get a rebound at least, and maybe then score. Because there's no way they're going to score. <laughs> and I want to be the guy and 
talk about me all the time in the <laughs> in the news. So that's that's how I handle it. And when I finally saw him on the bench, we couldn't get a whistle. So I had like four or five shots, but I couldn't grab anything because I was probably so nervous. And f finally, we get an icing, and the guys were trying to ice the puck like so bad. They won't, won't go in the net. They didn't want me. And <laughs> so we got an icing, I think, and I saw Luongo coming at me. He's like, hey, good job. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, there's, a, there's another high-profile uh, injury replacement or sudden replacement that we'll get into with Freddie Brathwaite, uh, our feature interview in just a little bit. But yeah, I, I watched that one live and uh, that it's insane that it came down to a bathroom break. Yeah. And I've heard this story from the Canucks standpoint. Now I can't, I think it might've been Bill McCreary at the time, like the, the Canucks bench explained what was happening. And he said he'd give them a little time. Like he'd try and give them a little time to get Roberto out there. But as soon as the Ducks bench realized he wasn't on the bench, they were pushing hard, like, come on, no, no, no delays. We got to get this whistle drop. Like they absolutely smelled blood because don't forget, like the Wongo was like, like he was like people forget yeah, this he, again. He was the Canucks back then. Like he really was. The Sedins became the Canucks, but he carried that team. I mean, how many times I heard Elaine Vigneault say after a game, like what his strategy was, it was come on, Lou. Like he was, you know, he was, he was capable of stealing series and they were still in that series at three, two. And if they win that one in overtime and you force a game seven, like who knows what happens. So, um, the duck smelt blood without Luongo in there and that I'll, I'll never forget those three minutes. And, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't have a chance to ask uh, Danny, who, by the way, has become an excellent goalie coach and will be in the league before long in the goalie coaching capacity. Um, but I remember years later, like that, the three minutes he played got him and like he only played like eight or nine games that year. Like a lot mm -hmm. of GMs, everybody, the whole hockey world watched those three minutes and they were very impressed with how he handled it. And he ended up getting another contract after that. And there were some people, I, I again, I haven't asked him, but there's some people that thought, let's just put it this way. Those three minutes did not hurt his case when he when it came to to free agency that summer. Well, it's the John Casey after Grant Fear when Kipper fell on on Grant and Casey went in and and won the series and uh, almost got them uh, to a to a Stanley Cup uh, Stanley Cup final. Hey, w for everybody that uh, that doesn't follow it, didn't follow it as closely as you, how did that game and that series end? I'm pretty sure that ended in double overtime at the other end. Um, and and a moment that I'm sure, you know, we've talked about this one with Roberto over the years too. Uh, there was a hit in the corner and, and I'll be honest, I can't remember who it was. And it, it looked like a pretty good run. And rather than stay on the puck, Roberto put his arm up like to signal right. there should have been a penalty and Niedermeyer sifted one in from the point. And by the time Roberto found the puck, I think it went right under his legs through a bunch of traffic, but you know, allowed himself, you know, to sort of get into the game rather than on the puck and try and get a call or try and tell the ref there should have been a call there. And, you know, the next thing you know, uh, pucks in the net series is over. And just I, rem I remember him sort of collapsing in the crease, that visual of just sort of the anguish of it. And um, yeah, so a tough ending, but a great story before it. <laughs> great story. So Bob's going to take over in, in Florida, and the backup in Tampa is almost a better story, but Bob's a higher-profile guy with the, with the Florida Panthers. Right money? Good money? You, you like the money? I mean, it's a lot of money. I think there are very few in the league that, that, that warrant going that all-in on goaltending. 
um, because, and, and there are goalie coaches out there that won't want to hear me say this or, or the goalie union might take away my card, but some of the most prominent goalie coaches in the league have told me this quietly. Like if that you were to give them a choice to build a team from scratch, they could have depth down the middle at center. They could have an outstanding top four D or they could have a superstar number one goaltender. They're going to take the top four D and tell you they can probably build you a goaltender that can win behind it. So um, paying for goaltending, there's a reason not a lot of teams do it. There are very few guys um, that that are worth it, that can sort of outperform an environment. In other words, you're better to support them with a good environment on defense, whether it's, and they'll get that with Quenville coaching, but in terms of personnel. But Bob's a guy who can outperform his environment. He's done it in the past uh, on a semi-regular basis, a little bit of highs and lows. Some people worry about the term, Darren, and they point to all the groin injuries of two or three years ago. You know what? I, I'm not as worried about that. And I get it. As he gets up to 36, 37, which is where that contract ends for him, that will be a bigger risk. But he has not had a problem with his lower body since two and a half, three seasons ago when he changed his training. He lost 17 pounds of muscle. Muscle. I couldn't believe it when I saw him the next season after the season before. It was like it was like somebody took Bob and like erased the outside edges of him <laughs> and made him like he was just so lean compared to before. And he wasn't like he was never heavy. He was a, he's always been a workout fiend, but he put on a little too much muscle. He didn't do it the right way the season before. And since dropping those 17 pounds, uh, he hasn't had any problems with the groin. He hasn't had any lower body issues. Yes, he plays an explosive style that puts a lot of strain on the lower body. Um, but he manages it. He is, I, I wish I was allowed to pull out a video after he does his post-game interviews, goes into the room and then comes back out. He lays down a big foam mat and he goes through a routine that is kind of like, it's like a mixture of stretching and disco. Like there's a lot of like flailing parts as he sort of loosens up the body and keeps it loose. We've seen the warm up where he kind of shakes everything out. It's kind of yeah. like that. And, and, you know, part of the story is the 17 pounds and the work he put in, but there's a trainer behind it in Finland. Um, and uh, this is a teaser. Uh, we're going to have a story on that coming up on some of the some of the unique things he does to train. Jonas Corpusello as well with this gentleman in Finland uh, who's finally sort of ready to, to tell that story. And we hope to have that at Ingol Mag real soon because uh, it's different. And it's a big part of why I'm not worried about Bob getting to 37 without a lot of injuries. Bob takes over. Lou retires. Reimer is sent to Carolina in exchange for uh, the man that uh, is bought out. Uh, so that's uh, an interesting turn uh, from from his time uh, with Chicago. And in Tampa, they get the one of the great stories from last year in Carolina. See all the moving parts here? It's like a shell game. Florida, Carolina, Tampa. It's uh, musical Curtis chairs. McElhaney. Yeah, Curtis McElhaney uh, gets a two-year deal to back up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I was hoping Edmonton would take a look at McElhaney because I think they could really use somebody of his depth. But McElhaney, the mid-30s, still going. And and the highest payday of his career in 10 years, this will be his 11th year, 10 years in the league, this is the highest payday of his career. And so I guess I, my assumption, and I haven't had a chance to even, I'll send Curtis a text and ask him and maybe we'll follow up next week. Actually, we need to get him on the podcast. He promised me that this summer. So uh, my assumption would be the two-year term is what's attractive there for him and a chance to win throughout that career. Um, I thought he'd be a great fit in Montreal. Like what I, like, 
people like he posted a 934 save percentage two years with the Maple Leafs, averaging 12 days between starts. Like people don't understand how hard that is as a goaltender. His and he showed in Carolina that he can also be a you know, he's a guy that can play every two weeks, or he's a guy who can give you two good weeks straight. Mm-hmm. And that is really hard to find that combination. I thought Montreal might take a look. They, they gave 1.75 to Kincaid. Uh, Keith is a guy who has shown really high upside a couple of years ago, but consistency and based on style, not surprisingly consistency. And when he doesn't play much, that tends to be when he's not at his best. Uh, maybe Steph Waite, who's one of the best goalie coaches around, maybe he can coax that consistency out of him through the work they do in practice. Uh, but to me, I just, I thought Curtis would be a better fit there and, and, and Kincaid got more money. What Curtis got was two years, a good chance to win a cup. And he's going to play till he's 38. And, and like you said, Darren, the first contract of his career that averages over a million dollars, like he's made, he's made less in his career than Bob will make on his uh, signing bonus for that deal in Florida. So good for Curtis. He's a great story. He's a great person. He's a really, again, one of these guys who's just constantly evolving, constantly trying to get better. And he's made a career, a long career where I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that, you know, four or five years ago and overcome injuries along the way. So a good story I hope to get into with him on the podcast soon. I would venture to guess nobody else in in the last 20 years could have done what Curtis McElhaney did and played 10 years in the National Hockey League without topping the million dollar a year mark. Like it's, it's virtually impossible. Yeah. And and again, it it, you know, it's a testament to him, both perseverance and constant that constant evolution i've talked to him about the changes he made in columbus ironically with ian clark uh, a lot of changes there that he felt prolonged his career and so um yeah it's a lesson to young goalies too like a lot of these guys that were just drafted a couple weeks ago when we were all together in vancouver like if you think that the things that got you here are going to be good enough to keep playing in this league you're not going to be in it for very long you constantly have to look for ways to get better because everything around you is evolving on an annual basis Scott Darling is uh, out. We d- we'll wait and see whether he can uh, resurrect his career. Robin Leonard goes to Chicago, and um, it, it was surprising that that things didn't work together with the New York Islanders. One year with the Chicago Blackhawks gets his gets a five million dollars, so he gets his payday. And they Chicago puts a lot of money into goaltending, just like like Florida is going to, but it's just more into into uh, a balance. But uh, Robin Leonard is going to be another show me moment for him. Yeah, and I think maybe disappointment from a lot of people that he didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to continue to do it in, in New York. And the, you know, the way the story ended, the Masterton was a slam dunk, Vezin Trophy finalist, and just like his story, like like what he's overcome, uh, the advocate he's become for mental health. I think a lot of people hoped that it just would have been a slam dunk to stay where he was, and he wanted to. Uh, but the Islanders moved on quickly by the sounds of it. Robin was willing to accept even a two-year contract there. But by the time he went back and said that, uh, they were already on Varlamov. Now, uh, I, I'm not as surprised as everyone else that they moved on. Um, you know, I think they've... And Varlamov makes sense uh, because they've got a young Russian coming that he has a relationship with. Yeah. Uh, the last time Mitch Korn got a goalie that was handpicked and drafted by Dave Pryor as Varlamov was when he was in Washington uh, and got him under his, you know, in his hands and made some changes was a guy named Holpe and it resulted in a Vesna. Like Varlamov is a high skill guy that if you can rein him in and add a little efficiency and tracking to some incredibly powerful, but frankly comes off the puck a lot movements, 
we could be talking about another and, and that system and that team. You could be talking about another Vesna Trophy finalist from the New York Islanders. But I kind of hoped, and I think a lot of us did, that Laner would get that shot. Surprised it's Chicago just because Corey Crawford's there. And because they have guys behind him that that showed, um, I guess Crawford with the injury history makes it less surprising, but more so because they had Delia behind him who looked good last year mm. and actually outplayed probably Cam Ward for stretches and earned a spot. Uh, Kevin Lanikin, who still has probably some work to do on the North American game, but you saw the success he had. Starts the year in the East Coast Hockey League in North America, finishes it winning the World Championships with Finland. Uh, those guys will be relegated uh, to the American Hockey League this year. And I thought one of them might get a shot um, but if you're Chicago, I guess you, you've got a number one goaltender, no matter who's in net. And for Robin, a chance to, you know, continue his story. And I guess the one lament is, is just given what he did, um, you know, and, and given the story and given the advocacy, um, you sure hope that's not why he didn't get a contract or didn't get offers elsewhere. Um, it, it, there, there's, it's hard there's a to bit ignore. of a s- smell, right? Like yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's hard to ignore it. I agree with you. And I guess it would have been the the easiest thing would have been to give him the contract because of the good story. But when you don't, because he played in the playoffs for you and and was such a great uh, season and, and still only played half the games. Like it wasn't like he just took the ball and ran. Thomas Christ is is a little bit older and, and they they were they were a platoon, but still it's hard to think that it didn't play into the to the decision in some way or form. Yeah, and you know, um I do know there were some questions there about if you gave him term and he wasn't the number one guy long term, mm-hmm. does he fit the backup mold? Like, could he be a guy when Sorokin comes over? And by all accounts, this kid in Russia is a stud. And when he comes over, is Robin a guy that's going to do the extra stuff as a backup? So that may have been their part of their uh, hesitation to commit to term. I don't know if it's fair or not. I'm not there in every day in practice, but I'd heard some of that chatter. But at the end of the day, when he says he's willing to come back for two years, to me, that's less of a problem. And uh, at the end of the day, this isn't just about Robin Lehner's story, as good as it is. Guy guy flat out performed for you. Um, So, yeah, I'm a little surprised. And yet again, um, a little surprised, especially given the term Varlamov gets. But again, I think they will probably get a lot out of Semyon and the transition to Sorokin as a guy who has the same agent as a fellow Russian, as a guy who can help sort of bridge that gap. I also fully understand why that makes sense. I just, it just don't like it. I wish it was Robin. You want stories as good as the one he wrote this year to continue on and more chapters to be written. We will get to our feature interview uh, right away, but one more on free agency, Mike Smith and Cam Talbot basically flip flop from the start of last year to where they're going to be at the start of next year. Yeah, um, and you know what? It could it could work in both cases. I see both of them. Well, both of them will probably start as backups, but I could see both of them taking the reins at some point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like 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 Mike Smith, and I've told this story before. Um, he admitted to me late in the season he didn't handle necessarily David Rich being the guy early all that well, and not just like like I don't mean that from a selfish standpoint, but just in terms of not being the guy. Like like Mike had been the guy for a long time, and that means when you have a rough outing, you get to go back in there as opposed to having to sit on that rough outing for a week or, or 10 days before you get another mm. shot. That's a big adjustment mentally. Um, and it took him a while to sort of get past that. He admitted that. I also think that he is a guy that was affected by, and we've talked about it, the chest and arm. He's talked about it. We've run the clip where he tells me about, you know, uh, just getting beat up on the body. And so he started protecting his body with his hands. 
And when you play as deep as Mike does, your hands have to be active. And for half a season, they weren't. He lost that element. They were. He had a lot of double coverage because his hands were in front of his body trying to protect the seams. Not for pucks small, getting through. Being small, right? Yeah, he can't play yeah. that way. He has to be, as much as he's a deep goal tender, like he's, he plays a conservative positional game, he's still aggressive from it. And that includes the hands and active hands. And once he lost that, I mean, that's tough. You know, by the end of the year, he's in a combination of three different models. We've talked about that before. He's got uh, an old Reebok 11K body. Uh, he's got new CCM arms, which he also had them modify for a little more elbow cap mobility. He had them take a piece out of there. And he's got Kineski um, shoulder floater. So he's basically got a three-part Frankenstein going. And once he felt comfortable with his chest and arm, he was pretty good down the stretch. Like he was above league average. I can't remember from when on, probably, probably from March on. And we saw what he was capable of the playoffs. We saw that glove hand against Colorado, um, which disappeared for the first half of the season. It was back. And so I like this deal for him. He might be the best puck moving defenseman on the Edmonton Oilers. Ha ha joke that many have told since this signing. Um, And the other way, Cam Talbot was at his best in the Rangers when he, you know, the old Benoit Lair beat the pass, solved the equation. When he was beating plays on his skates, uh, I think it was in part the environment he was behind in Edmonton where they gave up a lot of seam plays and a lot of lateral stuff. He ended up sliding a lot more rather than beating plays on his skates. And once you're committed and moving one way on your knees behind a team that it's a one-touch pass back the other way, you're kind of screwed. And I think Calgary saw that and they believe with better structure in front of him, they can help help him get back to that guy that's beating those plays on his skates and get back to a guy that you know, just a couple of years ago, everybody wanted, including the Calgary Flames. So they get another shot at it and this could work out well for both of them. You uh, talk about getting, getting beat on plays. I just call it the beat down philosophy. You play behind that blue line and, and what happened to that organization. You just eventually you have beat down and you lose your confidence and he's not the only one. Yeah. And there's, through that. there's a great, there's a great, uh, it was on Twitter. I'll have to find it, uh, put it on our social, but there's a great, uh, tweet, uh, from somebody basically the last five or six goalies kind of with Edmonton. And then after Edmonton, we all know about Dubnik, yeah. but like, there's a bunch of them where once they leave that environment, things get so much better. And that's the other part. Personnel hasn't changed. Ken Holland just doesn't have enough room to really shake things up on the back end. Although they lost Sakara to a buyout and that might hurt. Um, but the coaching philosophy will. And Dave Tippett is a guy who Mike Smith has worked with in the past. You got to think that things, it might not be pretty to watch, um, but you got to think things tighten up for the goaltenders there this year, or at least start to. Yeah, that relationship's going to be key. Uh, we also don't know about Cam Ward, Auntie Nami, uh, whether they will uh, hang them up and, uh, and go by way of the uh, Steve Mason, where you just don't hear from them again. But uh, congratulations on, on great careers there. Stanley Cups for both. Uh, moving parts. A lot of moving parts on the goaltending uh, side of things with free agency. And moving parts, uh, an excellent springboard, Woody, to this week's feature interview. Because if not for a significant trade... Who knows how Fred Brathwaite would have developed? He was cut, and then he was playing with rented gear. Uh, Brathwaite seized a spot on the Ontario Hockey League in the wake of the Eric Lindros trade to Oshawa way back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. He was the backup in the Memorial Cup final when he had to enter a game midway when Kevin Butt was injured. And I don't know if you remember this. Uh, he famously yawned while skating to the to the net 
going in in relief in the Memorial Cup final, and his teammates are all going, what the heck is going on here? This guy, this is the Memorial Cup final. But he yawned, but he eventually won it in uh, in extra time. And yet all of that, he still wasn't drafted. Made a 15-year career playing pro hockey, including NHL stops in Edmonton, Calgary, St. Louis, and Columbus. Freddie Brathwaite has really seen it all. He's now coaching and part of the Hockey Canada ecosystem. Presented by the Hockey Shop, here is Freddie Brathwaite, a fun guy, with Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio. You've coached, you've played, you've played in the NHL, you've played in Europe, um, you've coached at the NHL level, you've coached at the World Junior level. I want to know where it all started. Where did Fred Brathwaite develop the passion for goaltending? What got you into the game at, a, at what age? Uh, you know what? Tell you the honest truth. I have an older brother, uh, Rod Brathwaite, who actually, who you know very well, who works for the Vancouver Canucks. He is six years older than me, and um, he was a goalie. So it kind of started off that way where I wanted to do whatever my brother was doing. And he was a goalie, not the best goalie. But um, he, he was my guy. He was my idol. And I wanted to do whatever he was doing. So that's where it all kind of started. Uh, started from there. And then uh, as I got older, obviously watching guys like Darren Pang, who was from the Ottawa area, who went to the same high school as I did. Obviously, he's a little bit older, but uh, kind of followed his footsteps. And then uh, obviously my idol as well, Grant Fear. And okay, so you, you go from there. That's how you get started. So Grant was your guy growing up? Grant and Darren Pang. I mean, Darren Pang, as I said, was from the Ottawa area. So I remember him playing for the Ottawa 67s, uh, kind of watching him. But at that pro level, it would have been Grand Fear for sure. Okay. And so you, you end up going on to play junior. What's the process like back then? Like nowadays, here we are at this program of excellence camp and you've got Bantam drafts. And, you know, like we were talking earlier today, I mean, stories now where these kids have representatives and they're in control and they've got strength trainers and diet trainers and people are following the draft and everybody knows like from a young age, who's who, what was it like back then? Like, how did you get discovered back then? How do you end up in junior hockey back then? Uh, you know what, actually at, back in that day, um, I didn't have an agent. Uh, I think back at that time you just kind of played and hopefully someone would see you, you know, um, when I was, uh, in grade nine, I played high school hockey with a couple of buddies. Um, Went played tier two in Smith Falls, where I was, I was drafted in, I think, the fourth round of Smith Falls. And then I actually got drafted to Oshawa in the 11th round. And I just remember being so excited. My good friend Trevor Burgess got drafted there. And how'd you find out? Like, in, in, nowadays, it's all we, the kids are in class watching it on the internet on, on the Bantam draft days. How'd you find out you've been drafted? You know what? Actually, I went to the draft. Back then, the OHL had a draft, uh, I believe it was in North York. And uh, so I went there and I sat through 11 rounds and I got my corduroy hat and I was so excited. I thought I've made it big times. And uh, at that time, as I said, I was the 11th round pick. So um, obviously there wasn't too sure if there was going to be a future after that. But you played. I did play. Um, I went to Oshawa, uh, got cut from Oshawa and actually played junior B in, in Aurelia. And, um, and then fortunate for myself, Eric Lindros got traded from Sault Ste. Marie back to Oshawa, which helped me get down there because uh, a goalie, Mike Leonard Doozy, was part of the trade, which ended up sending me down to Oshawa. So, and hold on, sorry, with Lindra. So now you're playing with or opposite? I'm actually now playing with Eric. Eric and I are now in Oshawa. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I was uh, the big part of that whole kind of deal, but I mean, obviously Eric came in, which, uh, as I said, left the goalie, Mike Leonard which opened up a spot for myself. And from that year kind of went on and we ended up winning the Memorial cup, uh, my first year there. And so a lot of eyeballs on you at that point. At what point in all this, you said that that was the dream. You're drafted in the 11th round into the OHL. You've made it. At what point did the next step become realistic for you? Like at what point as a young goaltender was the NHL more than just a dream? Uh, you know what? I mean, I was never drafted. I was never drafted to the NHL. So, um, I don't, I don't know if the dream ever left. I always wanted to be there. Um, I just worked hard and I think the biggest thing is I was having so much fun playing that, um, I, I just wanted to get to the next step and then, uh, sat through two NHL drafts, actually went to the drafts and was never drafted. And, uh, and then I kind of got a, an opening with uh, Edmonton, and they gave me my first chance when I went there as a walk-on. We've seen that these days it's on TV, right? So uh, there's a little more coverage, I'm guessing, nowadays. Uh, although the NHL draft's always been a big deal, we see the pictures of the kids that drop. I mean, you went to two, and you sat through it. What would be your advice to a kid who's not sure if he's on the bubble, not sure if he's going to get picked? We see some decide to stay home. We see some make the trip this year. It's in Vancouver, my hometown. What was that experience like for you to go through too, where you're sitting there and you didn't hear your name called? And you know how has it formed the advice you would give others or have given others in years since? Well, uh, I mean, it works works a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, you go there. It's kind of disappointing to to not get drafted. You see some other guys that you think you're just as good of or right around the same same spot as them uh get drafted ahead of you and um i mean i i it's really hard to say because there is those guys out there that that go and they get disappointed and feel that their dreams are gone but um if you really believe you, you could do it i i believe you got to stick with it and hopefully you get an opportunity so maybe maybe stay at home and just wait for that call and and maybe get that invite down the road but when you go there I mean, take it to the fullest. I mean, you just never know what could happen. Um, it doesn't happen a lot, but there is chances that people will find you. And if you work hard and you do the things you're supposed to do, you, you might get that chance. So Edmonton signed you after the second draft? No, actually, I went there as a walk-on. I, I went to that draft. Uh, I went to, sorry, I went to that camp, their uh, development camp, got invited back to their second, uh, to their main camp. And I, a couple of things happened with their goalies, whatever, and which opened up a spot. And then I actually just signed and, and ended up playing two full years, two and sorry, two and a half full years in, uh, in Edmonton. So I was playing with Bill Ramford my first, first year, and then uh, Curtis Joseph the second. And what that process is, like one, the one question I haven't asked you is at what point, and this is a different era back then, now you are a goalie coach. At what point did you get your first goalie coach? Uh, you know what? That's actually really interesting. I, I don't think we really had a goalie coach. Uh, I actually, I remember probably asking Bill Ranford majority of the time to help me out, but he obviously had his own things to worry about. Um, that, that's a good question. I think in, uh, in Manitoba, we had Rick St. Claude who would come out a little bit and Pete Peters, but they were just kind of coming out once in a while. And then even in Calgary, we had John Elkin for a short period of time. And then that kind of went through. So I would have to say, Full-time goalie coach probably would have been Rick Walmsley when I had him in Columbus near the end of my career. And then let's give some dates for the people that don't have hockey DP, DP page up in front of them, Freddie. <laughs> Obviously, Edmonton was 93, 94. So you're, by the time you get 
What time you get to, to so see By the him? time I got to Columbus, it was probably 2003. So I was okay, probably, probably, like, I was probably right around, like, I was probably 19 then yeah, or so. Oh, yeah, just, just yeah, 19 <laughs> for the second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, or maybe more. Um, now, and that's about right. That's about right. When goalie coaching became more of a common occurrence, even at the National Hockey League level, kind of 2000 and through the mid 2000s, you started to see it more. As you've seen the game evolve from a guy who just grew up playing on instinct to a guy now who is, you know, who is here coaching some of the more progressive, uh, more recent, you know, innovations in teaching. Um, good thing, bad thing. Like, how is how have you sort of seen this, you know, this evolution of the position? Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable from when, even when I just stopped playing not too long ago. Um, I mean, I think the coaching right now and what they have access to it, it's unbelievable. The coaches, the video, um, to the equipment. I mean, it it's it keeps uh, evolving so much, and it's actually hard to kind of keep up with it. But lucky for myself, I get to go to different camps, learn from great coaches, which helps me become a better coach as well. The equipment. What did you have a set growing up that was like that one? Like I made it now. I've got this set of equipment. Was there something under the tree? Was there something over the years where we've had guys talk about their first piece of pro equipment? Nowadays, these kids all have top-notch stuff from a very young age. But what about for you? It was very different back then. A little heavier too, I think. It was. It was a tad heavier. Um, the best thing I got, I think I got a trapper, a brown trapper, John Brown trapper, which was like had the, the leather inside where I had to put the dubbing inside. Um, that was probably the best thing, but I, I mean, growing up, uh, I grew up in Nepean and, uh, I actually had rented equipment. Nepean minor hockey gave us rented equipment. And I actually had that going into Oshawa in the OHL. So majority of my equipment was rented. And, uh, I remember so getting, you went into the, into the Ontario hockey league using rented equipment. That is correct. Yeah. Wow. Like, like yeah. if there's a times of change moment right there, that that's, that's one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, so doing that, and I remember going to Oshawa and finally getting my first set of Cooper Dorsoff pads, which which were awesome, except when it was wet, because you would stick to the ice with the little Velcro on there. But uh, that was the time where I was like, this is awesome. Like, it, it was the best time. I mean, I was really happy with the stuff I had, because that's all I had. But then when I realized, when I got that, and then after we're in the Memorial Cup, um, I ended up getting some heat and stuff. That actually had my name on the side. So that was, it just brought me over the top for that. The chance to see your name on the side. Like that, okay, that's good to know that at, no matter what age you are, the first time you have that opportunity to have something that has your name on the side of your equipment, that's kind of a special moment. No, it really is. That and uh, having sticks with your names on it. Like I remember playing in uh, junior and like writing my name in pen on my stick just to pretend that I was as important as everybody else. That's awesome. Those are the kind of stories we love. Okay, so at what point as a pro then, Freddie, did you get your first stick or first set of sticks with your name already on it? They show up and you don't have to get the pen out and do it yourself. Yeah, you know, I think the first time was probably when I was an overage playing for their uh, Detroit Junior Red Wings. Um, I probably got like three sample sticks of Louisville's maybe. Um, but the first time where like a whole dozen kind of came in, where sh- I believe there might have been Louisville again. But I actually made Edmonton. Um, that was probably the first time where I had my own sticks. Um, everything was matched as <laughs> for equipment. Um, that was probably the, the biggest, first big thing for me right there um, when I was with the Oilers. 
Okay, so you mentioned with the Oilers, you talked about Billy Ranford sort of being an, your informal first goalie coach, although he was also busy trying to play. He also played with Curtis Joseph. What are your memories of playing with Cujo back in the day? Cujo, he, he was awesome. I mean, he was a guy that uh, was pretty laid back back in the day. He, uh, I'd watch him in warm-up. I don't think he stopped the puck in warm-up, so he made me nervous as anything. So I would actually probably call someone over to the sideboards and try to get me myself warmed up. And then he would go in the net and just be the Curtis Joseph that we all know. He just stood on his head and just impressive to watch. I mean, I, I was very lucky with my career to play with a lot of Hall of Fame goalies and be able to sit on the bench and watch these guys play and perform night in and night out. Now, other than warm-up not mattering, were there any lessons you took away from either of those two that you remember, any that you still pass along to the young goalies you work with, whether it was from Billy or, or from Cujo? Well, I, from both of those guys, I mean, just the way they worked. Um, I mean, both of those guys were at the top of their game, probably the best goalies in the world at the time, and they never wanted to get scored on. I mean, guys even in warm-up would shoot from, from the corner, and they very hard would try to he tried to stop everything. Like he did not want to get scored on. And Cujo again was like that in practice. In warm up, he just kind of wanted to kind of feel the pucks a bit. But just the way they worked and the way they did things and the way they came to the rink every day, um, the professional way they were and how they just kind of controlled themselves. Okay, so Edmonton, your time with the Oilers ends after ninety five, ninety six. Uh, you spend a little, a couple of years in with the Manitoba Moose, but that back then it was in the IHL, and then ninety eight, ninety nine, Calgary Flames. You you mentioned it before, your boyhood idol, Grant Fear. Walk walk me through what that's like. Things kind of happened kind of weird there. I mean, I I, I was playing for the Manitoba Moose and uh, with Yohan Hedberg, the Moose, and um, couldn't find a job after that because the Moose took my job great guy but he still took my job and then um actually played for the national team and ended up going living with one of my best friends at the time tyler moss who was actually the starting goalie i believe with ken reggett in calgary so i I was playing on the national team not making very much money probably about 10 grand for the year and end up winning the spengler cup and unfortunately tyler moss got hurt shagir got hurt I think they went through about eight or nine goalies, kind of similar to what happened in Philadelphia. And um, they called me up. They actually asked me, why me to go to St. John and play a game? And my equipment was in Calgary. So they said, you know what, Fred, go to Calgary, practice with the Flames, and then we'll send you to St. John. I said, okay, perfect, let's do it. And then they came back and said, you know what, Fred, we've lost seven in a row. We don't have a goalie. We're playing Dallas tomorrow. We need you to play. So I get out there. They announced me as John Brathwaite, which I don't know how that happened, but John <laughs> Brathwaite, and uh, ended up actually getting a shout-out for the Flames my first game and ended up playing two and a half seasons there, and it worked out really well playing for the Flames. Okay, so now a lot of people might not remember, but you're right. I, I've got it up here. Had a 9.15 save percentage, played 24 games with Canada's national team. It was different back then, right? Like uh, that was an option to go play for the national team um, it wasn't like it is today where they take players uh, out of leagues in the midst of the season for things like Spangler Cups or World Championships or even Olympics. There was a sort of traveling international team that wore the Maple Leaf. What was that like 
obviously a big jumping off point, but that whole experience. You know what? It was a great experience. I mean, anytime you get a chance to wear the national team, Canada's jersey, uh, that was actually the first time I ever was able to do that was wear a Canadian jersey and represent Canada. And you did it You did it three, four times, didn't you? World championships as well? I, I did. I ended up playing in uh, three or four world championships and then uh, the Spangler Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and then obviously working for Hockey Canada as a goalie coach and and being a consultant for them. So I've been very lucky and very fortunate that Hockey Canada invited me to uh, to come and do that. And as I said, it's always a great honor to put on that, that jersey and that flag. But um, So when I was there, we had Mike Johnson and Willie Desjardins were my coaches with, uh, with the world, or with the national team. And um, we were guys that were really just kind of looking for jobs, AHL jobs, jobs to play over in Europe. We were trying to do whatever we could um, just to kind of showcase ourselves. And, and that was an opportunity to go to Europe and do these kind of events and show ourselves to everyone out there. Okay, so you go from that, like you said, you get a shout-out as John Brathwaite in your first NHL game. I hope they actually fixed that one on the score sheet and it was just the announcer. You spend half a season with the Flames. You come back for Calgary for two more. Um, and and at what point... And, Excuse my ignorance for not having it in front of me. At what point do you end up playing with Grant? Uh, that would, would have been my second year. Uh, Grant Fuhr comes in uh, from St. Louis, I believe, which was, which was awesome for me. I mean, as I said, I got to play with my idol. Um, and, I mean, I, I still have pictures in my mom's house of him up on my bedroom wall. So I had a chance to play with him. And uh, and then actually my last year in Calgary, I got to play with Mike Vernon as well. So I, I, as I said, I've been very fortunate to play with some high-end goaltenders and learn a lot from these guys. Okay, so give me some specifics. Other than uh, being careful which water bottle to grab, and maybe you can tell that story, what did you learn from Grant? What was the takeaway from your time with him? You know what? The big thing with Grant was he, he just took it one shot at a time. He never looked back in the past. Um, he was a guy that, just lived at the moment. I mean, we all saw him in in Edmonton playing where he might let in four goals, five goals. And you hear these guys talk, like the Coffees and the Gretzkys, and they said, when it came down to the last minute, you knew Grant was going to stop that last puck. He didn't worry about what happened in the past. And that was one thing that I kind of learned from him is there's nothing we could do about that. Um, obviously, we're not happy about it, but having a short memory was a, probably the biggest key thing for myself as a goaltender at that time. Okay, now you got to tell me the water bottle story. I've heard this one. You got to share it with our listeners. Well, yeah, no. I think I landed a goal from probably below the far goal line one night and uh, obviously wasn't very happy with the performance. And I know, uh, <laughs> I know Mr. Sutter probably wasn't too happy with me either, but I remember <laughs> coming to the bench and uh, Grant, he liked his Gatorade. He liked his uh, Mountain Dew and his Gatorade bottles. And I, I used to come to the bench and spray my face all the time and came back to the bench and grabbed his bottle and sprayed my face and it was Mountain Dew. And my eyes stuck together and he just looked at me and he's like, yeah, yeah, Fred, what are you going to do about it? Just get in there, clean your eyes and just go and keep playing. And something like that, I just kind of remember from him and just having that smile. And I was like, you know what? You're right. As I said, there's not much you can do about the past and just go out there and and just try to finish the game and play the best you can and, and not worry about all those other things. So some good advice, but maybe 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 not 
Maybe not the Mountain Dew and the water bottle these days, eh? No, no, we got to change that up. I, I think now goalies are probably having, uh, well, they, they probably have like Powerade or some kind of something that's a little bit probably healthier than the Mountain Dew on the bench. Yeah, absolutely. And a little easier to spray. Um, so yeah. Calgary for another year after that, um, couple, actually another couple years, and then on to St. Louis for two seasons. Who'd you play with there? What do you remember about your time with the Blues? You obviously know the community. How happy are you to see them get to celebrate a cup this year? What are your memories from your times in St. Louis? Yeah, St. Louis, was, it was awesome. I mean, we that team was built to win. Um, unfortunately, they weren't thinking of myself as the, the savior. Uh, I got traded for Roman Turk. And I think what was supposed to happen was... Um, Sorry, what's uh, Hasek was probably supposed to sign with St. Louis at that time, and uh, unfortunately, he decided to go to Detroit. So now St. Louis was kind of stuck with myself. Uh, Brent Johnson was still just kind of coming in the league, um, a very good goaltender at the time, but I don't know if he was ready for for that step that we had because, as I said, that St. Louis team was built to win. Um, but I mean, St. Louis was awesome. The community was great. The fans were great. Just unfortunately, we, we came up short. I think we lost to uh, Detroit at the time to Hasek, who ended up winning the Stanley Cup. But uh, it, it's great to see them win. It's great to see the guys win, the coaching staff, uh, Dave Alexander, to to the whole city, to Darren Pang. I mean, it, it's great. It's great with uh, you see the league, that how it is out there, and that any team could win as long as everyone's on the same page. Okay, so you were not quite Dominic Hasek when the when the Blues got you. I didn't realize that that there was a chance that he would end up there at that time, or at least I don't remember that. Um, but there must be some stylistic similarities, no? I mean, you were skate saves and stacks, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not too sure. Hasek Hasek was uh, at that time. He he was there right there. Obviously, he was one of the best in the game with the Curtis Joseph, the Bill Ranford, uh, the Grand Fears. Um, yeah, I don't like to think I can compare myself to Dominic Asik at all. Maybe that I wore the same helmet as he did probably when I was in minor hockey, and that might be the closest thing. Okay, well, let's talk style, though. I mean, like you said, you've played with a lot of different guys. Um, now, actually, one quick one. You said you didn't have a goalie coach until Rick Walmsley when you get to Columbus after St. Louis. So that's 0304. We talked about that earlier. But you did briefly have a goalie coach with the Calgary Flames. The problem was he tried to give Grant Fear advice. Do you remember that story? Well, yeah. Who's uh, a good friend of mine, John Elkin. Um, John Elkin was our goalie coach, and I, I believe he came in and, and was talking to Grant, I think probably trying to tell him to get up on the on the right leg that he was supposed to. And Grant being in his last year and probably having knee problems was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. And, uh, unfortunately I don't think we saw John after that. I think he was there maybe one, one or two weeks. And then that was probably it. But, uh, but John and I actually ended up starting working together in the summer. So I, I have still learned a lot from John from those times, but you're right. I didn't really have a goalie coach during that time. Even in St. Louis, we had, uh, Keith Elaine, I believe who kind of came in once in a while. But again, he was just kind of a soundboard. He wasn't really our goalie coach at the time with Brent Johnson and I. And um, not as he said, until I got to Columbus where I had Rick Wamsley, who was there every day. And and 
he's a guy who kind of taught me how to work and work with a goalie coach every day. Now, let, just to go over that time period, because to me, that's a fascinating period for the position. And it's about the same time that I started sort of learning it and covering it, working for Goalie News Magazine with Ian Clark and sort of discovering a lot of this modern technical element, including, including as you said, like Grant Fear, proper leg recovery, something that his generation and nobody really understood or did or were taught. And I, so I'm coming in and I, I'm learning that as sort of a modern technique and I'm watching and half the NHL doesn't do it. Um, what for you, like, you know, as a guy who came up with skate saves and two pad stacks and getting up off the wrong leg, being part of that evolution right in the midst of it on the ice in the NHL, what was that like? That process for you? Was it difficult at times? I, I remember Curtis Joseph, like really late in his career before he finally figured it out. And in some ways, he got more efficient technically and and maybe wasn't even quite the same after that, despite you would think it would be an improvement. Like, what was that experience like for you as, as, as goalie coaches became a bigger part of the game and the technical elements? Like you said, before that, they were just kind of been there, done that advice, guys, and it really changed and became more of a technical position in the early 2000s. Yeah, well, I mean, I think at the beginning, those guys were uh, more mental coaches at that time. Right. Uh, it, it really wasn't that big of a technical thing. I think really at the at near the end of my career, I worked with uh, Brian Decord, which is Joey Decord from the Senators. I worked with his dad over in Germany, and he got more into the technical part with me. And um, I, I think it was it was probably pretty funny because at that time I was thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty nine. And he was trying to get a little bit more technical with me. And, and we would have chuckles about it now because we still talk. And he would try to get me to do things. I just couldn't do it. I just, just the way my body was and just the way my mind was, I, I just couldn't do it. So it's, um, it, it, being around, I've been very fortunate to be around, uh, as you said, when we were doing skate saves and two pad slides to getting more into the butterfly, getting up to on the right leg. And now, getting better on the post play to um, just being able to read the game. I mean, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been around with a guy, Lyle Mass, where we've worked on some stuff as well, that he's worked with some other goalies. So for myself, it's always a learning. I'm always trying to learn and get better and, and try to help out these goalies and uh, work with these guys with the national team and at the NHL level as well. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about that evolution of the coaching position and how much is technical, how much is between the years. But first, I want to ask you about playing style because you mentioned some of the elements that were in your game. But the hockey DB's got you at well, actually, he's got you at five foot seven. So is that about right? You well, I mean, it's probably five seven, but five. You and with an afro, maybe. Okay, so you were listed at 5'9 before, but then it looks like they've updated it now, so they've actually got you at 5'7. I remember that conversation earlier. Um, how'd you survive at that height in the game? Like, what was the key to your success? Was it all about reads? And have you seen that as we've gotten more technical and kids look so good in these drills on the ice in the summers, is that maybe one of the elements that, you know, for some of them has kind of disappeared, it seems? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for myself, obviously my biggest strength was reading the game and being able to beat the pass, get there. I mean, I I like to think I was a pretty good skater. 
Um, so with the skating and being able to read the game, I was able to get to spots early, um, see what was kind of happening ahead. And, and I think right now, as you said, there's, there's a lot of big guys out there that read the game and do a really good job. But I see there's a lot of teams out there that want to get the big guys and hopefully they can read the game. I mean, there, there's some really good goalies. Uh, I can't say his name properly, but in Charlotte, um, I just like to call him Ned. Nedeljkovic, yeah, yeah. I got to watch his NHL debut here in Vancouver, and he won it. And yeah, Vancouver absolutely. And, I mean, he won goalie of the year in the AHL, and this kid, he's not that huge goalie, but he stops pucks. He reads the game. He does things properly, and he helps his team win. And as we saw that, he won the Calder Cup this year. So, um, I, I obviously, if you could have a bigger guy who could read the game, that's great. But these smaller guys... Um, read the game and they do a lot of good things out there. And I think people have got to give them an opportunity to see what they could do at that next level. So to answer your question, yeah, I think people are kind of getting away from that, but I think it's starting to come back again when you see guys like Ned doing what they're doing at that AHL level and even kids at the junior level being as good as they are. How much of the read for you, not just reading the game and the flow and where plays are going and beating them, but how much of it is, is sticks, reading sticks, reading shots off sticks, reading releases? And is that something you can teach as you've transitioned into the NHL goalie coaching realm? Or is that more of just an innate skill? Like, can you, are there little cues that you can help younger goalies develop and maybe share one if there are? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough. I think we've had this conversation with some other guys where, you just kind of knew you could see off their stick. You could see a little bit off their eyes, what they're doing, just the way their hands were, their positioning. Um, those were little things that I could pick up. And right now I'm, I'm trying to learn a better way to communicate to the goalies, just little keys to, to look for when that is happening. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's little things that you could kind of help. As I said, just finding out where their, where their hands are on their stick, um, kind of where they're skating. Um, just little things that you could kind of pick up that hopefully they could kind of see it and then kind of see a pattern and be able to put that into their game. Okay. We talk about, we've heard Mitch Korn talk about that a lot. It's just sort of connecting the dots on the, the game is about patterns, right? And being able to sort of match those and connect those. And I guess that includes right on to, you know, right into shooters and their release and what they're looking for. So that all kind of makes sense. Um, want to get back to the coaching and, and between the years versus between the pipes. But first, I mean, 19-year and career. Um, after Columbus, you end up playing a little bit overseas, sometime in the AHL, but uh, you mentioned Brian Decord, who's now a goaltending scout and consultant with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You finished your career in the German League with him in Mannheim. But first, a couple years in Russia and the KHL. And we've heard some stories over the years about playing in Russia. What was the experience like for you? Yeah, Russia was, uh, it, it was a little different. Um, I mean, it, it, the league was good. Um, I, I was lucky to play over there in the lockout time and playing with Javi Bulin, who just came back from winning the Stanley Cup in in Tampa and, and working and playing with guys like Kovalev, Kovalchuk, LeCavier, Heatley, all these guys at their prime. Um, but it, it was interesting. Over in Russia... I had a Russian goalie coach who couldn't speak English. Um, so it actually made it pretty interesting because as someone like him, I, I think he tried to tell me something that was probably bad. And then by the time it got to me, I was doing a really good thing. But yeah, 
Russia, Russia was interesting. As I said, the hockey was, was very good. Um, but for myself, it just wasn't for me. Um, it wasn't worth the money, uh, just being that far away from my family and my friends. So, um, as I said, it was a great experience and I, I learned a lot of just playing over there on the bigger ice and really realizing that you didn't have to be so aggressive in the net, um, from the way I used to play early in my career where I was, I was a pretty aggressive guy thinking that being smaller, I had to be that aggressive. And then going over to Russia and realizing you could sit back, read the plays, and be able you have time to get to your spots if you if you read them properly. So you did you bring any of those lessons? Like you come back a couple of years in the AHL, really good year with the Chicago Wolves, nine eighteen save percentage in oh seven, oh eight. Did you apply some of those things? And then after that, you end up back in Mannheim where you finish your career with you know, some, some really incredible numbers like nine twenty four in your final season and eleven twelve. Was was that just part of the evolution and learning some of those lessons or just the experience and, and you know, being able to, like you said earlier, read games and anticipate? Yeah, you know what I think it was a combination of everything. I mean, just that experience. I mean, I, I retired when I was thirty nine, so um being able to read the game, which was as I said, one of my key things, but also just being able to uh, work on some of the things that actually Brian DeCord worked with me, even though I wasn't the huge technical guy, but he uh, he helped me with some things of just playing different situations and how to read it and just doing things like that. So um, those were the big things right there at the very end that I wish I knew at the beginning that would have probably helped my career um, along the way, it probably would have made me a better goalie earlier on. Okay, so how many of those lessons do you take now? Because after you retire, you you transition to coaching. Did you know right away that was going to be something you wanted to do? You've worked with the national team. Uh, we've seen you on the World Junior stage as a coach. Sp- spent the 17-18 season with the New York Islanders as a goalie coach. Was that always something you thought about, or how did, how did that transition come about? Yeah, you know what? I, I knew I wanted to stay in hockey. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed being around the rink, being around the guys. Um, and that's kind of really all I knew was it was just being around those people. So uh, I didn't know if I wanted to be a goalie coach. I didn't really know stick boy, whatever it was. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, I, I thought with my experience that I've had, uh, that I could share that and help out the, the younger goalies. and. Um, Yes, I was in New York last year, and and uh, things didn't work out as well as I'd like. But uh, I learned a lot of things from that, and and realizing the biggest thing about the coaching and goalie coaching is, is connecting with your goalies. And I think if you connect with your goalies, you're going to get the best out of them because we all know when we we feel our best, we play our best. And that was something that I've, I've tried to bring with myself with. Uh, with the world junior guys and just trying to make them feel as comfortable as as possible in knowing that I have their back and, and uh, try to make them feel as comfortable as possible on the ice. It's funny. Cause I, you know, I've had a chance to, to be on the ice with you and, and see you learning from different coaches. You've been a, a student of the game since you retired um, from playing in terms of learning new techniques and always sort of, and I guess the hockey Canada job would have been good because you're always going in and visiting kids and meeting new coaches and sort of being able to take all these elements that other goalie coaches teach. 
But at the end of the day, for all that technical stuff, is it more important to help them between the years? Is that the takeaway that you would maybe even share with other goalie coaches who are just getting started? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, especially at this higher level, um, I would say 80 to 90% of it's mental. Um, there's a lot of good goalies out there. There's a lot of really good goalies at this, at that high level. And, um, obviously you still have to teach them and, and put them through some things, but, if you can get them in the right frame of mind and the right headspace, you're going to get them to play the best that they can. And um, as I said for myself, I I went and took um, a course about learning about different personalities and how to deal with them. And and I think down the road that's going to help me with um, with my goalies and the success I have with them. But um, yeah, I, I I strongly think that when you could get them getting that trust, um, when you communicate and getting that trust and that synergy, and then you're going to get the best out of them. Okay, so I, that was going to be my last question, but you just opened up, an, uh, this is your fault for opening up a new door. You, you get one more question as a result. Taking a course on personalities and getting, like how much of that is, is it just getting, learning how to recognize certain traits? What do you look for? Is it also matching their personalities to yours and knowing how each of your strengths and weaknesses will mesh in a relationship long-term? Like what was the thought process behind seeking that knowledge out and how, give me, give me an example of maybe how you've applied it with whether it's a world junior goalie or your year with the Islanders where, where it's really worked for you. Well, I mean, everyone, everyone has their own traits. And I mean, some people, uh, some people are guys that just want to get results. And if you just kind of tell them what that is, you just kind of give them the, Give it what it is. Or there's some guys out there that want to know why we're doing this. How is it going to better me? Um, and now, knowing their personalities a little bit better, I could communicate with those guys a little bit better, kind of build a better environment for them, um, and just try to help them grow. So now I I feel that I could communicate better with them, knowing their personalities. Um, there, there's some guys that that want to be the center of attention. And now, and we could just kind of explain it where, you know what, if you do this, you're going to be the best goalie ever and you're going to be on the papers and you do this. But what we got to do is do these little small things that are going to make you better, which is going to make you the best goalie in the world, which you want to be. So even doing those little things and sharing the same values and then holding them accountable with that is just going to make them better. I mean, for myself, being a coach, it's uh, it's not about me getting better. It's about making my goalie better and getting them to where they want to be. Perfect, Freddie. Hey, well said. Listen, this has been way longer than I said I'd keep you. Uh, I apologize. We had to split it, the first half in person, the second half over the phone. So if people are listening and wondering why the quality changed halfway through, uh, that's because I'm an idiot and didn't get it all done in time when we were together at Hockey Canada. Um, but thank you so much for the time on both ends, Freddie. Uh, I hope to see you again this summer, but I also... Well, I, I won't even say I hope. I know I'm going to get to see you around the rink in the pro ranks in the NHL sometime soon, uh, and I look forward to that because every time I talk to you, I learn something, buddy. And I also, like a lot of your goalies, I also end up leaving with a smile on every conversation. So thanks so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And thank you for getting me on this. I, I've been trying to get on this for the last little while here, so I, I'm actually pretty excited. I can't wait to hear it. All right, this is what we like to hear. We're, we, that's, that's what we like to hear. Sorry we made you wait so long. 
Um, you know, it's that whole best for last kind of thing. You know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to burn all our material early. So we saved you for a little later. <laughs> Thanks, I buddy. All right. Thank you. And actually, you know what? I'd like to get a taco from, uh, from our guy there out in uh, Phoenix. See how he's doing. Yeah I, yeah, I think we do need to, maybe we need a little road trip, a little golf, a little taco, a little Eddie Lack. Uh, we'll, we'll set that up. All right. And maybe we'll go see uh, old Lou down in, in Florida. Go see my pizza time as well. We'll, we'll hit them all because, you, you see, I'm guessing by now you know where all the good stops are around the league. So we'll combine it. We'll, we'll turn this into a Freddie Brathwaite segment of the In Goal Radio podcast, and you and I will just have an excuse to travel to all these places. You can show me where to go meet all the cool people, and we'll hit up all the goalies that we, we've gotten to know along the way. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks Freddie. All right. I didn't mention it, but you did that interview in two different sections, right? Yeah, so Freddie probably sounds better when we're live. Uh, we just ran out of time to finish it. Uh, scheduling conflicts. We were supposed to get together at the draft and finish it in person, but uh, you know, we may have bumped him to talk to Marty Berdur one morning. <laughs> <laughs> All due respect, Freddie, we're prioritizing Marty, but he was also busy at the draft too. And uh, at the draft, not just because his brother Rod is working for the Canucks, so he was visiting family, um, but also talking with a bunch of teams. I expect to see Freddie, and I hope we get a chance to see Freddie back coaching goalies at the professional level. Um, yeah, my hunch is as, as soon as this, this this season starts, if not sooner. Um, I'm knocking on wood for him as I say that, but, uh, he's definitely a guy that, uh, I think deserves a spot and has something to bring to an organization. We talked about it in the interview. It's not just the technical. I applaud Freddie. He's gone out and learned all sort of, and that's where the hockey Canada rules. Great. You're traveling to see all these kids and you're talking to the teams that have drafted them in many cases, and you're getting a feel for it. Like when you coach goalies for an NHL team, you can get really insulated and stuck in a bubble. And in some cases, some teams, they don't like, you know, I, I use the example of um, the Devils when Lamarella was there. The goalie coach wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. And he ended right. up getting so isolated in a bubble that he didn't develop. And we talk about goalies have to, goalie coaches have to develop. And he was basically cut off from the goalie coaching world. And since he's been freed from his Chris Terreri, like he's expanded his knowledge base once he was free from that. So I, I think the idea of, of goalie coaches, you know, they can become very insular if the team doesn't let them get out there and learn new things. And Freddie's job with Hockey Canada absolutely allows him to sift through all these different philosophies, seen him on the ice at multiple different camps, always looking to learn things. But at the end of the day, as he talked about in there, his experiences, his ability to make guys feel good reminds me of Dusty Emu a little bit, um, who, who left the Los Angeles Kings development role recently. Uh, very similar. Dusty gets the technical game. He tries to stay up on top of it. He can teach you all the, you know, the latest modern technical aspects. But he will tell you that what separates him as a coach is ability to get these guys feeling good about their game and to connect with the goaltenders personally. Freddie has that as well. As a matter of fact, Dusty's another guy we're going to have on in the next couple of weeks here on Ingle Radio as well to explain some of those things and how he does it. And I think that combination is so important these days. And both those guys do such a great job of it. So like I said, thanks to Freddie for his time. And I think we'll see him coaching in the professional ranks real soon. I got to know Freddie a little bit uh, when he won that Memorial Cup. But then when he went to Manitoba, uh, I was their practice goalie. So I was be out there with uh, Carlisle coaching. And oh, one thing oh, that struck oh, me about... Hold on. 
How are yeah. we how are we in episode 24 and you have never told us that you were the practice oh. goalie for the, the Manitoba Moose? Oh, I was terrible though. But I was I was around. I was I was available. <laughs> oh, there this is a this is a story we have to get into more. You know who I went Come to camp on. with? The, the reason Freddie ended up there was Vincent Riando was, was the goalie and he was terrible. Uh, so Jean Perron was the original coach of the moose and, and he would, he got let go. Vincent Rando got let go and Freddie ended up there and, and I was around, but, uh, Freddie could shoot the puck. He could put the puck over the glass from his own net. Like he, he, that's how we talk about Marty and Hexy and all these guys that could shoot the puck. Freddie might've had the best shot of them all. Okay. So the way he could fire it. between the yawn story, which I didn't know going in to, to ask Freddie that. Mm-hmm. And your t- <laughs> your time as his practice emergency backup guy, yeah. Like uh, we're having him back on with you, part <laughs> yeah. of this. We, it didn't work out this time. It just was me and him because we couldn't make our schedules connect. But you're definitely in on this next one because I think Freddie's got some more stories to tell here. For, for, for the yawn story is classic, and he tries to downplay it, but it uh, it's very famous because it was the first year that 1990 Memorial Cup was the, kind of the first year that TSN broadcasted most of the tournament, and and it was front and center. And then with uh, the big controversy about the Hamilton Dukes or Dukes at Hamilton, but yeah, he could, he could, he could put it over the net from his, from his own in own goal. Just an unbelievable shot. Great skater and a cool dude. Yeah. And you know what? Sorry. One, one last one. Yeah. Dude at goalie camps. Like if you ever need a guy to break the ice or if a drill's not going well, like Freddie will slide in there and like go old school, like both knees together, skate out to the shooter and and do a, do a two pad stacker you know, yeah. and no gear and sort of show off some of those old style stuff. And like, just again, his ability to make goalies feel good, including, including making them laugh out on drills. Like yes. the amount of times I bust a gut when, when he just needs to lighten the mood when things maybe aren't going great, like just, just an absolute gem and a real, as he said, it's not an accident. He studies personalities. Like it's, he's, he's got a great personality himself, but he understands how to connect with other goalies and how to sort of manage those moments. It's, he's it's sort of a hybrid, watch. right? Like he's the old guy where goalie coaches were just sounding boards. Like he can do all that. Yeah. He can he can break the ice, and but he's also very technical. Yeah, yeah. We we're rooting for him uh, big time. So what's your uh, knee pad story? Do you have one uh, taking a shot off the knee or anything? Because I I took a skate blade three years ago. I didn't have the knee pads on. I had my my new pads four years ago, and skate cut my inside of my knee. No tendon damage, but sliced straight through. And I from then on, I've never been on the ice without the knee pads. I know it was stupid. I admit it was stupid. No, there, there was a time when I first started. Remember the thigh the thigh guards or yeah, the, yeah. the the you know the thigh boards, right? They would yeah. they would rotate straight down. I call them the table trays from the airplanes. Yeah, they were good for closing the five holes. Kind of yeah. too, but once the NHL made those illegal, and once you sort of Trevor Kid ruined that for yeah. us. Once you couldn't get them anymore at retail, like I, like believe me, mm. they may have been illegal in the NHL, but I wore them as long as I could keep them on a set of pads. Once that was gone, again, as a narrow butterfly guy, as a guy who just isn't blessed with the the hips that can, you know, even with the new equipment, I guess I can now for the most part get the pads closed. But, you know, especially early, uh, actually before Maria Mountain and sort of going through some of her programs, which helped widen the butterfly yeah. and allow me to close it with the pads. I played a lot of sort of jiggy fly and where, where those knees were facing the shooter and the, 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 the thigh rise was pointing straight out, not closing in front of you. And I absolutely had to have good knee protection. And so I was a guy who used to sort of seek out pro level knee protection at a time when a lot of guys in the NHL were 
you know, paying $600 a set to get it made by Francois Lair's guy in Switzerland, who I actually connected with and talked with over the years. Like, um, I needed that protection. I think it's evolved. And we talk about it with Cam, like not everybody wants that much. They want the protection, but not that much bulk. And so different models offer different combinations of that. And that's kind of, kind of what we get into with Cam. I, I am lucky though. I will say I've never taken a devastating shot off the knee, probably because I always purchased good knee protection. Um, right. I, my devastating shot was, uh, was a ruptured appendix, but that's a story for another day. It almost killed me that night. What about the, uh, your head? Have you taken one off the head recently? Is that Just, not, is that not obvious? Well, because the way you start this conversation, you get the month mixed up. Yeah. So I just, just, I want people to know he will get it straight. It's not February. He's, he's talking, he's talking about July. We're, we didn't take a, we, I played cam that morning. <laughs> I wish I took a puck off the head so I could excuse that stupidity. We're going to blame the head cold on that one. <laughs> I, I was listening to it, getting ready for the podcast. I'm like, is this an old one? What am I doing? What are the, but, uh, but it all, and I love the way cam, you give it to cam enough. That that when he when he, you guys have great chemistry and the chirping back and forth. So uh, here's uh, here's Woody and and Cam talking knee pads here on the In Goal Radio podcast in the gear segment. Welcome back to the basement of the Hockey Shop Sourcer Sports in Surrey, and we're in the back room today with Cam Matwiv, and front area is full of customers, so we had to hide in sort of the storage room. And you know, if if the front area is goalie heaven. Then back here is like goalie heaven times 10, just like walls and walls of inventory, um, including some. Before we get into the knee pads we're going to talk about today, I'm looking at a couple walls of demo gear, and that's good timing because February 12th, you guys are going to have your annual demo sale. And I'm looking at all this stuff and like CCM, Brian's, Bauer, Warrior. I'm seeing a lot of gear here that's all going to be blowing out in the next couple of weeks. I saw a Thatcher Demko set of Brian's pads and matching gloves. I saw some funky, some really bright colored orange and some green and yellow CCM E-Flex. Each one comes with either full right or regular gloves, like both options. So what's the best way for them to keep track of the items Facebook is that you're going to be sort of revealing them leading up to the February 12th Twitter and Instagram are going to be the ones but I'm going to make sure that you're not confused on your dates here because we've already passed February we're going did to be I say looking February 12th twice how many times did I get hit in the head at hockey this morning only a couple right a couple ones a couple okay, ones the Sorry. head cold we'll blame the head cold yeah so it, it is actually July and July, on 12th. July 12th yes you're going to have your demo sale but check out sort of once it starts on the 12th, it's going to be first come, first serve. That's correct. Online and in person. And like I said, there's some going to be some great prices on some great gear here, folks. But you can sort of plan what you're looking for by keeping an eye on the social channels and on the Facebook page uh, for the Hockey Shop Goal Department uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'll start teasing you with these uh, these various items that will be on sale. I'm looking forward to it. We're huge teases here at the shop, and that's where you can find it the best. Okay, perfect. So speaking of teases... Uh, we're going to go over knee pads today. We're going to go over different brands, different sizes, different options. Uh, but we'll start 
by teasing the customers by saying, we're going to have a special this week. We're going to be able to roll out that old InGoal20 promo code on all knee pads for the next week, the duration of this episode of the podcast. So little bonus, if you need a fresh set of knee pads, now's the time to get it, either in person here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Actually, I guess online at thehockeyshop.com would That's be the, the way place to go, to go. for yeah. the InGoal20 discount. Let's just roll right in. Uh, you actually need a little extra knee protection today after this morning's skate. I may have got hit in the head and forgotten that it's July, not February. You took one off the knee. Tough shot, tough spot. Um, knee pads are an important piece of protection. Yeah, I definitely got highlighted uh, to myself this morning. And for the record, A, I was the winner of these games. And B, I did smash my knee pretty hard here. So um, do I need a better set? Possibly. Do I need a different set? That might be something to look at. But uh, that said, I mean... Hold on. You left early because of that knee injury. I'm pretty sure I win by default. uh, Let's let the uh, listeners uh, throw that up for debate. But uh, I'd say that one day, like for those who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Like me and Cam have been going head to head in some three on three skates uh, the last few weeks. So I think we might actually have to throw... I I would throw a GoPro on there to prove it. But God, I don't want anyone to see me playing goal. So let's just <laughs> let's just move right on that. Let's start with the Warrior. Start with the Warrior knee pads, the ones you've brought out here. And people will hear me rustling around as we look through these different models. These are the RX2 Pros, um, the Ritual RX2 Pros. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Warrior was a knee pad that we tried way back in the original Ritual. Um, I love the padding on the sort of lower, that had a longer lower leg portion. Love the padding. Thought it was a real nice blend of, protection and size without being too bulky where where have they gone where's the evolution of that knee pad a very similar like along the same lines of of you know what you were describing trying to create that um functional knee pad which i would say is a good category to it i find they stay in place very well um that same uh elongated pad for your knee where you're landing on um so it's kind of down below the knee almost into the shin it was so long yes correct and gives you lots of extra padding as you're dropping down in the butterfly so that still remains um, they've worked on their caps a little bit more and expanded the lineup. So they actually have three different options. Um, there's the RX pro, the RX pro plus, and then also the senior, um, all three of these knee pads visually almost look the same. It just has to do with the cap and also that elongated, um, uh, landing pad that we were talking about earlier of how much density of padding there is to it. There's a little bit of an extra flap on the front of it. So all three similar, obviously the pro and the pro plus, um, you get a little bit more in terms of the protection value wise, um, but uh, all three are great options for you. Width wise, where does this one fit in the scale? Because you know, and and this will depend too. Like some goalies have a narrow butterfly; they really expose their knees. Um, guys with a wider butterfly that I'm jealous of all the time. The pad pretty much closes it, and they're not as worried about knee protection. They're also not as worried about filling space with knee pads. Um, also, brands like different different companies have different sort of landing gears on their pads and different amounts of room for an oversized knee pad. Where does this fit in between the scale of sort of just wraparound protection versus what we would think of that throat full sort of pro width knee pad? It's somewhere in the middle. Um, once you get it on, it does uh, tend to, you know, contour to your leg quite well. Um, visually, when you look at it without it being strapped up, it does kind of flare out wide and that's just the plastics in the knee pad kind of flaring. But once you actually do have it on and strap the Velcro down, it kind of falls somewhere in the middle. It's not the widest, but it's not the narrowest by any means. Okay. From from Warrior, we're going to move on to the Bauer. And this is one, I mean, they've got a couple different options. So we got the Bauer Supreme, and this is one that I would categorize as a little bit on the smaller, like narrower. It's not as big and bulky. And a lot. this is what a lot of goalies like, because it's a good option for that, but still very protective. 
Yeah, if you're looking closely um, in the NHL, actually, in particular, you can actually see a lot of the guys don't wear socks over top of their knee pads, which I do recommend. Um, you can really actually see this knee pad stand out in a couple of guys in particular. Um, so next time you're watching an NHL game, just have a look. Then you drop down on the butterfly. Um, you can see them uh, dropping down. You might be able to actually catch a glimpse of these uh, knee pads in particular. Uh, one of the reasons why you see a lot of them, there's a lot of straps, so they really tend to stay in place. I think you've got... Uh, four or five with the anchor strap at the bottom being the fifth to really hold on to your leg and not have it slip and slide, which is one of the biggest problems with knee pads I find. Um, but that said, extremely protective, a little bit uh, longer. It does go up onto your thigh a little bit further. So you'll have a little bit of double coverage between that and your pants. Never um, a bad thing, especially for some of the growing goalies, especially in the junior, you know, sizing that category. Um, this can help, especially if your pants are getting a little bit small, but you're not quite ready for new pants. This might cover the extra area that you need for sure. Okay. And again, just a little bit of a narrower profile. This is not like pro width bulk. And that probably fits really well with, say, a Bauer 2X or Bauer 2X Pro Pad. Uh, I found that, you know, in terms of the landing area on that one, um, still plenty of room, but gets a little snug when you into, you know, a wider, like full pro style knee pad. So this would be a really good compliment for that. Yeah. I think it was Bennington that's actually wearing a set of these that you can, if you can see quite often when he drops in the butterfly, you can get a good view. So sure. Pick a guy we don't have photos of on file. So uh, <laughs> now I got to go find them. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on to the Vaughn now. We got the Velocity VE8 Pro. And I'm going to be honest, this is not one I've had a chance to wear myself. Um, Looks like more of a, you know, somewhat of a traditional, a little, little wider, closer to pro width in terms of those two layers of caps that fit around and wrap around the thigh, and then a more compact sort of landing area that wraps around the bottom of the knee. It's a very classic design. It hasn't, to be honest, changed a whole lot over the years. If it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Exactly. And that's what Vaughn's kind of applied here. Um, a couple of nice features to the knee pad is A, that double pro cap. So you're not only getting one layer, you're getting two layers of full-on protection. Um, a lot of guys gravitate to that, that especially playing at that elite level that do expose their knees a little bit, that do need that extra protection. Um, that would be something that would apply to you for sure. Uh, one of the nice features that it also comes with in the, the uh, Pro Carbon um, is its uh, attached garter belt that's ready to go. So it's usually something that's sold aftermarket, but it's already attached and good to go with these knee pads. So, so if you're using the attached garter belt, we've talked about slippage, and I really like the Bauer anchor strap. I find that, that you know, I've used that in the past. I find it helps hold that knee pad in place sort of from the bottom up. Um, garter belt's another option to sort of keep everything in place. Exactly, exactly. And those are available aftermarket. We've got three different versions. I think I've got a CCM, uh, a Bauer, and uh, a Vaughn. Vaughn technically is the most universal one out of all of those. Um, just with its snap clips, it's pretty easy to integrate. Um, Bauer's a little bit more specific to their uh, 1X uh, knee pads that uh, we didn't actually have with us here, but uh, are available on the site as well. Um, but uh, yeah, another great option to help hold up your knee pads to stop them from slipping. Okay, now here's one I haven't seen before, um, but I'm quite interested to hear a little more about it because it's a little more, at least out of the box, out of the bag, little i almost want to say square like it's not as rounded in shape and that's the brian's optic knee pad and this is a first for me so walk me through the benefits of this one uh in terms of how it fits how it feels and, and what kind of goaltenders are, are liking it right now so brian's has been kind of fairly quiet in their knee pad market for a long time and this case actually did come out last uh, season in particular but it was a great addition to their lineup because stock they've only had their genetic knee pads which have come with traditionally their uh pro pads um, at the top end price point, but those also are, those are a bigger, wider one as well. No, a little bit smaller actually. And they are available aftermarket as well. My stuff, my stuff, see, I've got an older set and it was quite big. And, and, and at a time when 
everyone wanted that monstrous set of knee pads, but as goalies have sort of scaled back from that, it almost became too big. What you're referring to, those old pro knee pads are long gone. Um, those were those used to have those big, thick, wide cap. It was almost you know two inches thick. And that was a, that was a right true pro knee pad, but uh, those have gone the way of the Dodo a little bit just from based on, um, you know, style changing um, and also integration with your pads because those are great with how protective they were, but they were so big that it's kind of hard to fit some of those into the narrow leg channels that were available. What if I told you that I knew a goaltender who played in the NHL with those pro style knee pads over top of another brand's pro style knee pads? Ryan Miller. No, 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 don't go, don't be, no, 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 no. Millsy was actually pretty small. I think he may have had a combination of of warrior knee pads uh, with some other things built in. Eddie Lack, double knee pads. Those things were just freaking monstrous. He actually had a set of those Brian's ones you were just talking about over top of, I think he had maybe the CCM underneath it. It was it was something to behold. See, I never, I never would have guessed. I would have always thought that would have been a Ryan Miller thing right there. No, no. <laughs> No, definitely not. Eddie Lack with the biggest knee pads I've ever seen because there were actually two of them. So anyways, he's out of those now. Um, what else can you tell us about the optic? So a little bit more, again, squared, but tapered around the leg once you actually get them on. Um, protective, yes. Um, they've got a full cap layer of uh, plastic to protect you, from, again, from all those hard shots. Um, just something that's a little bit more, you know, again, narrower as comparison to those uh, pro knee pads that we were talking about a little bit earlier that don't exist anymore all right moving right along last but certainly not least because this is my one of choice although maybe not this particular model is ccm yes um i've been in the one that has the hinged kneecap uh sort of the so that's the pro model that's correct um and that continues i've had it for a couple of years i love it uh i know when the hinges were rivets people had problem with when the rivets were gone well they used to be reebok right and i have an old set of those but uh the, the newer ones it's actually a screw in there I love that hinge system. It sort of creates a natural bend yet to take one. And I have a pretty narrow butterfly that causes me the same type of pain you have today from taking a shot. And I just found that um, with the screws, yeah, you had to tighten them every once in a while. But once they moved away from the rivet, that that hinge just stays intact. Yeah, sorry. I dropped the knee pads there. But uh, you know what? Um, I've we do have those options and that is a great. So usually when a customer comes in, it's like, I want like the biggest, most protected knee pad you have. We're taking them over those CCM CCM pros. Yes, exactly. And that does again provide that most. But for me personally, for example, like that's way too bulky. So this is where that big preference kind of right. comes in. And they in have play. other options. Exactly. So right in our hand right now, they have uh, our KP, their KP 1.9, very, very similar to what Coy Crawford actually uses. And that's kind of why this knee pad still exists. Um, very, very similar to those old RBK gray and black knee pads that a right. lot of uh, younger goalies wore. model, yeah. Yes, yes. So very similar, basically what's been updated. Um, better materials, um, all around still same level of protection because it was great before, um, but just some more padding for your knee as you drop down and that anchor strap that actually Crawford came about with um, to keep those knee pads up on you. Um, very similar to what uh, Bauer uses for their kind of anchor strap. Obviously not called the exact same thing, but positioned in the same spot. And again, the whole idea of keeping it in place for me, I like the, I do like the pro one. I like it with the hinges. I like that they have their JDP technology sort of joint displacement, uh, where, where you sort of lock that knee pad into padding and then there's a hard cap on it. And the idea is it actually takes some of the impact out. Uh, what I find too, and we've had, we've stressed this in articles about CCM pads, their pads, their knee stack are designed to be worn with their knee pads, that protection, that added layer of impact protection on the JDP the size of their knee stack area is nice and wide open because it's designed to be worn with, if you want it, a bigger style knee pad. 
What I like, though, is you have all the options. Not everybody wants the big and bulky. Some guys want it streamlined. Some guys, God bless them, I can't stand them. I'm just jealous of them because their butterfly is so wide that they've never taken a shot off their kneecap. They don't have to worry about much at all. Um, at the end of the day, though, you have the answer for who, for whatever preference you have. You want. You have it here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. You have it at thehockeyshop.com. And if you use the code INGOAL20 for the next week, you will get 20% off your knee pads. If they've got any questions, how do they get a hold of you, Cam? Give us a call at 604-589-8299 or just go to thehockeyshop.com and you can check out our website, which is our live inventory of what we currently have in stock. Okay, so check out the knee pads, 20% off in in goal 20 discount code. And remember, keep your eye on the social media channels and Facebook. I'm in a room full of really nice looking demo gear. And on July 12th, not February 12th, July 12th, they're going to open the doors and sell that to the public at some really good prices. So look for that as well. Cam, thanks for your time today. And as always, it's it's a pleasure spending time in goalie heaven, the basement here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Thanks, Cam. I'm ordering mine. Which which one should I order, though? You, you tell me which ones I should buy because I'm going to use the the promo code. In goal 20, 20 percent off 20. all knee pads at the hockey shop dot com mm-hmm. uh, for the next And you're week. going to give me some American dollars so I can use those. Yeah. Don't forget uh, our American customers. You'll be able to apply the in goal 20 promo code and and your dollars worth about 35 percent more thanks to the exchange rate. So that's like, I don't know. That's like I'm not real good at math. That's damn near 50 percent off. Between yeah. The two. Yeah. So uh, for American so which customers, one should I buy? Um, listen, I'm biased. Uh, I do like, I, I find that, uh, if you, if you like that full pro protection, um, that CCM pro model with the hinges built in, the hinges used to be rivets and over time the rivets would pop and that was a problem, but now they're screws. So you have to tighten them every once in a while, but I just love the way everything stays in place. I've yet to take, and I, and you know, the same guys that ding cam up in that game and, and forced him to leave the game, which again, by the way, means I won. Um, <laughs> uh, I was what those are the same shooters shooting on me uh, and the same shooters I've played against in the summer for years now and yet to take one off the knee myself, Cam. Uh, so yeah, I'd recommend that if you're if you're OK with the, the size and the bulk. Um, I do like the Bauer ones as a skinnier option. So again, really good protective, but a lot more of a tighter wrap. I haven't tried the 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 Brian's optic. They were interesting. But I've heard good things. Um, I, it really is, you know, again, to me, the, if you want a real tight, narrow profile, the Bauer ones are good. I like, I've tried their anchor strap down below the knee before and like that. Um, and to me, the CCM one with the hinge, if you're looking for pro yeah. level, big bulky, I was looking at the warrior ones, they've caught my eye, but yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, absolutely. Uh, they're a good product. Um, they, we, their original ones, they really, what I like about the warrior ones, they've got a really sort of long, and Cam talked about that, uh, the piece that sits under your knee and sort of down into yeah. your shin, really cushy, real long, um, comfortable. I think they're a, they're a real good balance. They're not overly bulky. Um, they're kind of in between to me where the CCM size wise and mm-hmm. the Bauer, they're kind of a, a middle point there. Um, just make sure you buy the latest because Cam happened to have an older set on when he took that one off the knee. Ooh, so that's the uh, Ritual X2. That's one. He might have even predated that. So as he joked around okay. at the beginning there, he just needs to get the newest one. And, and truth is, uh, the guy shooting could really fire. And uh, I think Cam thought he was going top shelf and he really put himself in a compromised position. And it just 
you know how it is. If you're not square and you're not set and you're opening up, yeah. uh, pucks find holes and that one caught him almost almost underneath the knee. It's just a bad Ooh. spot. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's probably not the knee protection's fault. And the in-goal uh, promo code is? In-goal 20. In-goal 20. Make sure you use it. Look for it. We'll, pu- we'll pump it out on social media. Is it media. all one word? Yeah, just in-goal 20. I-N-G-O-A-L 20. Use it at checkout. You'll get 20% off. Um, and the other thing, too, we talked about it uh, in that segment. Demo sale, boys. Check out the Ingle uh, magazine social and check out the hockey shop social, especially the Facebook. Like I've seen what they've got back there for the demo sale. Some of it's just simple, black, white, red, hockey shop colors. Uh, Their demo program is one of the best around. If you live in the area, you know it because you don't have to just go buy the gear without trying it. They have multiple sizes, multiple brands. You can actually get it on the ice before you buy the gear. And then a year later, they sell it at the demo sale. Tons there. But because they have such good relationships with the manufacturers, they also get high-end equipment that the manufacturer needs to get rid of. Uh, pro returns, things like that. That Demco set um, with uh, the genetic, with the optic glove. If Sounds you're, cool. If you're a green and blue uh, and your team colors are green and blue, it's a, it's a sweet set. And there's a couple Jeez, of CCM. what are you? I, 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 my, team is green and, <laughs> my team is green and blue. But, but Darren, that would require me buying something. Oh yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah. We don't, we don't do that here. We tend to get it sent to us. That's good. Good for you. Humble. I like that. I like that. Hey, uh, great job with, uh, Freddie Brathwaite. And I love the story with Danny Sabrin. That was, that was, that was really cool regarding Lou. And, uh, yeah, again, uh, all, all big stick taps to, uh, to Roberto Luongo and a great career and going out with, uh, with some real, real class and style, uh, the way he, uh, announced his retirement, uh, Freddie Brathwaite rented equipment, in major junior, like just all or nothing. He played 61 games one year for the Calgary flames. He was a guy that, that you think just had to fight to be, to be in the league, but played 40 plus games a lot in, in his pro career. So uh, all or nothing. And he was, uh, he was all also really, really cool. Uh, next week, dad's back. So uh, we rambled a lot today. Yeah. Well, he might rein us in and get me to yeah. shut up a little more. I no, don't know no, no. that might be a good thing probably for the poor listeners that got to listen I, to my verbal I, diarrhea, but I like it. It's uh, it's all about, uh, learning as you go and, uh, and flexing your, um, your, your talents and, uh, with, without, uh, without Hutch here, you got room. Well, Hey, listen, like if there was ever an episode for verbal diarrhea, <laughs> this is the yeah, one. well done. Um, uh, we got to run or is that we're on the runs? Uh, we, uh, we'll say goodbye. Uh, the music's playing. The coaching core, uh, goaltending core carousel is uh, is moving around. We've seen a lot of guys uh, change different teams. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But uh, for David Hutchison, co-founder of Ingola Magazine, uh, Kevin Woodley, as well as Freddie Brathwaite, Danny Sabrin, and our good friend Cam at thehockeyshop.com, I'm Darren Malai. Thanks for listening to Ingola Radio, presented by Source of Sports 3, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Be well.